A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Welcome back to Utopia Talks with me, Jaguar. As a woman in music, I'm so passionate about raising up women and gender minorities in a male-dominated world. I love that I can use my platform to stand up for what's right and use my voice for good. It's why I launched my initiative, Future 1000, which is a free online course for girls, trans and non-binary people to teach them how to DJ and all about electronic music. When I was putting my initiative together, I found that, according to She Said So, only 3% of producers and 16% of all artists are women, which is shockingly low. The gender gap felt bigger than ever, and although there's so many women who are monumental in making the dance music scene the powerhouse it is today, they're not given the credit they deserve. So this episode is dedicated to making them known and letting them shine and bringing them to the forefront of the narrative. This week, I had the pleasure of getting into the studio with three pioneers of UK dance music. They're three women who've inspired me on my own journey with their success, their influence and their talent. I'm joined by my friend who I actually used to live with, Sherelle. Hi, I am Sherelle. I am a DJ producer and label manager of labels such as Hoover Sound and Beautiful, Radio 1 Resident and uh, yeah, DJ that plays jungle, footwork and anything above 160. Judy Griffiths, who has been driving the London club scene behind the scenes at Fabric for two decades. Hi, I'm Judy Griffith and I'm the programmer for Saturday nights at Fabric and um, I've been doing that for about 20 years now. And Marianne Hobbs, one of the most recognisable and respected voices in music and radio today. Hi Jaguar, it's Marianne Hobbs here from BBC Radio 6 Music. I'm a writer, a DJ, a curator, and most recently a mentor, which is a role that I'm really, really enjoying. There was so much to cover with these guys, so you're going to hear the conversation in two parts. During the first half, each of us is sharing our journeys into music and how we all landed to where we are now. In part two, we're diving into a deep discussion about Sherelle's new label, Beautiful, the whitewashing of dance music, the threat of sexism, and what our hopes are for the future. Enjoy. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. So, yeah, I guess before we dive in, it'd be great to hear about your journeys and, and how you got started. How did I get started? That's a crazy story, you know. When I'm sitting in a room full of women who are so young, it's almost impossible to describe, I guess. 
what my life was like as a kid. I grew up in a tiny village in Lancashire with just maybe a thousand people in it. And when I was 18 years old, I ran away to London and I lived on a bus in a coach park for a year (laughs) with a rock band called Heretic. And um, it's kind of interesting, you know, when people ask me what my early challenges were, I would probably say, well, the fact that I had no sanitation and running water for an entire year, you know, but... For me, I guess, coming from that kind of environment, the music industry felt like, I don't know, this glittering bauble. It was so remote. It was so far away. So um, I thought, you know, I wonder how I can possibly get involved with this. I wonder what I'm going to need to do. And, well, that's the long and short of it. I ran away to London and ended up on this bus, which we called the Blue Goose Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we all did these crazy day jobs, you know, a couple of the band were grave diggers. Uh, a couple wow. of the bands worked in a, a factory where they made dog dishes. And me and the singer used to work in this Malteser factory where they used to bring these these truckloads of Maltesers that were effectively seconds, and we had to repackage them as if they were firsts. Um, <laughs> we just used to live on a bag of chips a day. There's a chippy in the corner of the car park where we lived. Um, save all the money that we had to go out on the road, you know, and... My dream at that point, I guess, was to to become a writer, to become a journalist for a music paper called Sounds, which I used to buy as a kid. And um, <laughs> I, I remember thinking this would be the one thing that the editor of Sounds would need to see. You know, he, I'd need to show that I'd worked for a band. So I remember sending him the most insane CV, you know, <laughs> saying, well, these are all my responsibilities to the band. You know, I do their sleeve art and I paint their backdrops and I'm their lighting engineer when we go out on tour. I'm the bus mechanic too. Anyway, long story short, he invited me in for an interview. I was 19 years old and he sat me down in front of him and basically said, I can't believe what I'm reading here on this CV. You know, you live on a bus with a band. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, why didn't it occur to you just to send in a review? You know, it would have been that simple. But of course, you know, um, we're talking about maybe 1979, 1980. Um, and it just had never crossed my mind, you know. But <laughs> suffice to say, he gave me a job anyway. So I was writing for Sounds at the age of 19. And that is oh. uh, the the sort of, the, the I suppose, the beginnings of the story. Wow. Wow. I think cuz I just cuz I was reading up on you before this I'd love you for you to share the story about how you got the Radio 1 show um when you started on there because I think that's a really good story and I feel like people need to hear it. <laughs> oh god, yeah, that is an entertaining story. So the short form is I was working for XFM at the time and uh, I remember the boss at XFM coming up to me to say, "Okay, Marianne, we're going to have the head of Radio 1, the new head of Radio 1, Trevor Dan, coming into your program tomorrow and he's going to play an hour of his favorite music on your show." And I was outraged at this point because I'd booked a really sensational band from Seattle called Mud Honey to do a live session and that was bounced to the following show so that this guy could come in and commandeer some airtime and I just I turned around to the boss and I said, "This is outrageous, you know." This is a man with a 24-hour national network at his disposal. Why does he need an hour of my airtime? We're only broadcasting. We're, we're on air for a month and we're playing to Camden and that's it. You know. Anyway, I said, look, I'm only going to allow him to come in and do this if I get to interview him first. And at, at, at that point, I was an enemy journalist, so the style was pretty confrontational in those days. So <laughs> I, I, I did kind of drag him over hot coals a little bit, it has to be said, when he came in. And unbeknown to me at that point in time, Trevor Dan was very much 
employed at Radio 1, to, I, I suppose, as a henchman to get rid of the old guard and to reimagine Radio 1. And everybody at the BBC was kind of actively terrified of him, you know. So um, what happened was a, a, um, a bootleg, a cassette tape was made and bootlegged around the BBC of this interview that I'd done with Trevor and nobody could believe, you know, this jumped up little girl giving this guy <laughs> such a hard time. And it ended up on the on the desk of the controller of the day. His name was Matthew Bannister and... I think he was sitting there one day just thinking to himself, you know, I might listen to some new demo tapes today, check out some <laughs> new presenters and accidentally put this tape in of this particular interview with me and Trevor and um, rang Trevor and said, uh, who is this girl? I think we I think we need to get her. So. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> wow. So, so that was it, really. So that that's kind of the story of how I, I arrived at Radio 1. Anyway, I'm gassing way too wow. much. Wow. I mean, that's what it. a story. That's jokes. Yeah, really <laughs> I love that, that you just did that. Like, <laughs> and angry that the head of Radio One was on your show, and then it led to your job. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a wild time in those days. You know, everybody talks about Radio One as the Wild West, and it was very much like that. But I hadn't expected in a billion light years that I would land there. I don't know. Wow. Anyway, mm. here I am. Some might call it fate, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Judy, what about you? Let's talk about your journey into what you've been doing for years at Fabric and how you got started. Oh, well, I I mean, my dad was like very, um, he was very music. There was like music in our house all the time. He was always playing records. So he really encouraged me to buy music from a really young age. So I was kind of like obsessed with like vinyl, like from like about eight or nine. I had like all these little seven inch records and stuff that he used to collect. And so... By the time I sort of got like older, it was kind of like, and I was able to kind of sneak out and go to clubs. It was mainly because like at school, I was just kind of a little bit ostracized because I was like the only black girl in my school. And I kind of used to retreat into myself and kind of like just come go home and like listen to my records, like be completely obsessed by them, you know, read every little thing on them, all of that, and just be like in my room. And my dad was like, used to work in bars like part time. And, uh, they used to have these clubs. <laughs> these are the club that he used to work in. And I used to sneak into the club, can you believe? Not go anywhere near the bar and just like dance or roller skate or whatever, like all, all night and not go anywhere near so that no, and leave about an hour before it finished, walk home and sort of be in bed before my dad would come back, you know, sort of like I'd go to school and stuff. So for me, like clubs were like the place that re- accepted me. I didn't have to be the, the only black girl or or like, you know, all the things that the knock on effect that went with that, mm. that label. Like I could just, people just accepted me for who I was. And like, you know, boys talked to me because I knew about music and records and stuff. So it was just like another way, you know. So that's kind of like how I sort of got into clubs, but it just sort of carried on as I was, as I was getting older. I'd kind of like when I was at uni I was sort of the person would sort of put on the events and stuff like this and um, I lived in record shops I thought my ambition at the time sort of growing up was to be to have a record shop of my own that's kind of what I thought I would it would I would do you know I didn't really get the job that I wanted to do when I left because of the fact that I wasn't encouraged to do anything creative when I was at school and I always wanted to but I just they were the jobs that never, never came to me. You know, I never saw people like me in those, the kind of roles that I really wanted. They were just dreams. So sort of straight from school, I actually ended up in the bank because that's where my careers people were encouraging me to do those kind of roles, you know. And I was like just longing to do other things. Soon as um, Acid House came along, 
that was it for me. I just became, I was like, because I was like going to clubs all the time, you know, and um, I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I kind of like, I really want to do something that I really, really love. And so uh, only really Acid House, it gave me the confidence to do that, to make, I think it just sort of made people that were sort of on the margins and sort of feel a little bit more like they could do something, just did it themselves. And so I thought, I'm going to give this all up. So I, I just, I literally, the bank sort of gave, they had this kind of thing, I think it was like a recession or something, and they put gave us this offer where you could um, uh, leave for up to three years and you could get paid your holiday money that would be accrued during that time. And then if you do, you could do something and if you just if it didn't work out you could come back to the bank at the same position you left and be sort of I was like wow That's this is great. like a really good thing I, I I can't sort of not do this so I left and um I went to Ibiza supposed to travel around Europe but ended up going to Ibiza first and ended up staying there for like six months <laughs> <laughs> And that's where I met so many people, DJs and artists, ended up working in, you know, in clubs and bars and stuff. And whilst I was there, I thought, you know what, for me to get into the music industry, even though I've got all this experience that I've done off my off my own back, I didn't feel like that they were going to accept me as me. And so I was thinking I'm going to have to get some kind of qualification. So I came back and begged uh, uni to let me in. And I did... Yeah, media, press, PR, all those kind of things, business studies, all of that. And then I made this patch. So I thought, I only want to work for a sort of a independent record label if I could get a job there. But all the labels that I wanted to work for were like either American or like, you know, some none of the major labels I thought were going to have me, you know, mm-hmm. for like the little niches that I liked. And sort of just totally wrapping up, but just like a, a totally random story is that during my holidays at uni, I was uh, working in this place called the Saga Centre in Labrick Grove. And I used to go in there to like, you know, pack the boxes and stuff like this. And one day, my partner at the time, he came round the other side of the building and saw all the doorbells for all the, bu- all the, all the companies that were in this building. And on it was this one called Strictly Rhythm. And I and he was like, Judy, do you know that Strictly Rhythm, the label, is in this building? And I was like, no, it can't be. It can't be the Strictly Rhythm because <laughs> they're an American record label. And they're on my list of labels that I loved at the time. And he was like, I think you should try and go in there and have a look and see what's going on. So I went in there and knocked on the door and I was like are you guys Strictly Rhythm, Strictly Rhythm? <laughs> like the American label, Strictly Rhythm. And they were like, yeah, we're like at the UK office. We do like all the licensing and promo and stuff like that. And I was just like, what? This is like my favourite label. I have literally had pretty much every Strictly Rhythm record at that time. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I'm a real fan. Like if I, if you ever need anyone to make the tea or just... Mm do anything, answer the phones. I will work for free for you. I would love to to sort of do it. And they took my name. I didn't think anything more of it. And then the next, you know, a, f- a, f- a few months later, they called me and said, look, do you want to, one of the girls that does the promo, she's going away for two weeks. Do you want to come in and answer the phones? Wow. And I was just like, yeah. And I went in and did that. And the rest is history, really, because... Like they offered me a job. I kept going in there every time I had holidays. I'd go and do like a bit of intern kind of work. Mm-hmm. And as soon as um, I left uni, they offered me a job, a full time job. It was just wow. like, wow. I'm like, yeah, absolute dream come true to sort of work for them, you know. And yeah, I, I worked there for like about six or seven years and then 
went off to fabric, kind of came to fabric. I won't get into the long story of that because that'll take me ages. <laughs> that is an incredible story though. Like, and but, yeah, I feel like that chance happening just turned, you made the most of that situation and totally. it got, got you your first industry job. That's yeah, weird. I never thought I would end up working for a, a label like that. You know, it was just like, what? I, you know, I, I met so many amazing people that were like, you know, mentors for me mm. and that I really respected and I never thought I would. And that really led me, that sort of taught me so much, like working there and got me to meet so many people yeah. in the industry. And it sort of really set me up, laid the foundations for me to working at Fabric, really. That is wild. That yeah. is a great story. And I guess with with fabric, like, can you just give us a bit of a taste of those early days, what it was like there? Because I would have loved to have oh, experienced amazing. that. I think we both yeah, would have. I th- I think we all that was a time where we kind of, because you were saying you're all these young girls, but I'm probably right around a similar age to you. And, um, you know, it, it's like, it was just a different time, wasn't it? Because now with so many changes with regeneration and licensing and all of that, when I look back at that sort of first decade at Fabric, I'm like, wow, we were having it right off, but we didn't even realise we were having it right off. You know what I mean? It's like the things that we were able to do and to get away with. And like, you know, Fabric was one of the first clubs to have a 24-hour licence and we used it to the max during the in the early days. You know, there was many a time where you'd be on the dance floor, it'd be like eight o'clock and you're supposed to be finishing, but you'd go... Oh, there's loads of people on the dance floor. Let's just carry on. And we would, you know, and that was the beauty of being able to do that. Like now we tend to be a little, little, lot more sort of stricter about when we close and when we when we are going to go on for 30 hours or something, then we advertise it in advance. But it used to be just quite spontaneous. You just go, no, let's just stay open, you know. And next thing you know, it's midday and you're still on the <laughs> dance floor, you know. Or you'd kind of close and then open up room three and have like a party upstairs, you know, with all the artists and sort of some people. I remember going round the dance floor and just picking people and going like, do you want to, do you want to come to a party like afterwards? And they'd go, (laughs) what? You'd be so excited. And you'd go like, yeah, we're going to have a like little party upstairs. Just the people that were really into it and like really, you know, really wanted to sort of stay and party. And then we'd just go upstairs and carry on upstairs. And it's all those kind of things that we were able to do and, you know, which, which we can't now. And, kind of a bit sad but yeah I mean that those those days for me were just like incredible I mean the club is still incredible but we have we've had to adapt so much you know and change so much in the last years that it's really really tough to do what we do yeah sure you know, you said like make a gift for everybody like every year on the birthday and stuff like this. I'm like, how do we even afford to do that? I mean, like, I mean, I'm going to buy 5,000 key rings for people or 5,000 trays, like and just give them away, you know, and like just all those kind of things that we just couldn't do. You know, we were never get, getting sponsorship or anything. It's just we just wanted to give back. You know, you'd be like on the dance floor and someone would walk around with a crate of a big crate of tub of beers and go just give them out or or waters like throughout the night you know there's all these kind of things I really miss Mm -hmm. about being able to do at the club you know wow yeah it was um, was, was so amazing to hear those memories from you really it's like so inspiring yeah and even when I look back at lineups and I see like all these kind of like big what are big names now but like you know they'd literally all be playing all in one night and you'd be like but I can't do that anymore, you know? <laughs> I was like, Villalobos, Luciana, because they were all starting out and mm. stuff at the time, you know? So you could book them all together and no one really knew who they were or were really that bothered, you know? And now you can't do that kind of thing. It's like, cost you a fortune. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> the fees are so high now and, and everything, you know? Thank you for sharing that. It's <laughs> awesome. And yeah, Shez, like, tell us, how did you get into it all and... 
tell us about this crazy journey that you've been on. It's certainly not as interesting, obviously, as stories previously before. I definitely <laughs> didn't. I wasn't, uh, so for instance, has um, confident enough to join a band. Um, <laughs> on a bus. On, 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 on a bus and stuff or find Strictly Rhythm outside the door. Um, <laughs> but my one's, my one's a weird story, I think, for, for me. I've always obviously naturally enjoyed music from quite a young age. A lot of my earliest memories are formed around music, uh, at least being with family and that being a nice time. A memory I always say in like every interview is obviously... My favourite song, Renegade Snares, being played in a car with my uncle and mum and sister and stuff and hearing that for the first time at age three. But then when playing, you know, GTA. um Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shoot, shooting people on GTA and running over people. Um, I, I was, you know, driving along and then that song comes on and I'm like transported back to obviously being three years old mm. or whatever. Thinking to myself, wait, is this not the... Same, oh my, oh my God. And then like stopping the game completely, just like parking somewhere, obviously. And then listening to um, the radio station would have been called on GTA MS, MSX 96, because I think it was based then. Mm-hmm. And it was based on the Moving Shadows stuff, oh, the Moving Shadows uh, mixtapes and, and whatnot, which I later found out again, which I always like surprised by, say for instance, discovery of music and stuff. Um but yeah, it's, it's always been around. I've always like been interested in it. I would illegally download lots of music via like LimeWire, obviously break days. down the computer every <laughs> single month of just like <laughs> losing my sister's work, which coincidentally, actually, she went into working into a bank because oh, really? like my family is not necessarily like the most creative family either. Quite, uh, say, for instance, like jobs in which obviously would you'd, you'd get all you need. So, you know, car, uh, house, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but she'd be fuming, obviously, because I'd lose a lot of her company work stuff. So <laughs> downloading lots of various different bits, you know, filling up my iPod Classic with like music and stuff. At the time, I think within our age group, at least, it was acceptable to listen to different types of music. But yeah. that's still that categorization of like, what kind of person are you? I was a scene kid. Were I guess. You? Did so you I have the been. hair? Oh, the yeah. French. I think I've I seen a few pics of you. So much hair. hair. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, thinking about how much hair I had was an obscene, really? obscene rate. Yeah, well, it, to, to put it, uh, you know, for thinking about um, talking about myself as, as a person, obviously, and, you know, black when you're relaxing your hair and stuff like that. Um, you know, I was, I was doing it because I went to a school in Essex, um, in Woodford. And, you know, I, I wanted to be deemed more presentable. Yeah. Mm. So when I had that, exactly. Yeah. So when I had my hair like that and stuff like that and whatever, it was like still sick to have like a really outrageous fringe, obviously, just like covering your face and like loads of rainbow bracelets and all that kind of oh, stuff. Like skin. neon. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> like lots of neon, like literally everything. And, you know, that was like super fun, obviously. Um, and I think for me, my earliest memories, obviously, within school would have been maybe playing my friend's birthday party she rented out a warehouse which was underneath like the train bits in Walthamstow and it was like our first party which was like skins-esque because my school was very like conservative in the sense of like they 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 did stuff yeah everyone drank on the green but that was about it no one was doing anything hard and stuff and that was like a gateway of oh my god this party's so dangerous Mm. like whatever um DJ there actually DJed with a software called like virtual dj 
So yeah. I grabbed all of my stuff from iTunes and whatnot and just made a playlist. It was like going through like future garage bits all the way <laughs> to like R&B bits, like mixing it up, all this kind of stuff and whatever. Yeah, getting in the drum and bass and jungle, whatever. Um, and that was like super fun. There was a point, I would say, around about uni that I wasn't necessarily interested in music as much because the job, I went to university in, at Goldsmiths, disliked my time there, um, mainly because of the people that I met and their values. Um, but uh, had some had some good times in regards to like learning stuff, like did photography as like a specialisation and whatnot. I was more concerned with doing like video, photography, all that kind of good stuff. Music was kind of secondary to that. So I would work in music, but I would take pictures and do videos. Um, and I think I fell realistically back into music. So this is like age 21, 20. Um, fell back into music because of the fact that I got an internship at uh, Shazam, like oh. at the, the app and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting working. So I was like, oh my God, my first music job. I can't wait to stay here for a very long time. Did I fuck? I didn't stay there for a long time at all. I got made redundant uh, by that time. And it was like maybe like a year and a half. No, a year in actually. And I was excruciatingly broke. So when it came at that time, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'm from someone who has money within their family and stuff like that. So, you know, there would be options of working out how to pay rent, food, all this kind of stuff. Luckily, I lived across from a little and that obviously saves little saves lives with regards to getting the good old cheap shopping yeah. in. Um, but yeah, I kind of got back into it because of the fact that pre being made redundant, about maybe a month before or two months, I was watching um, A Boiler Room uh, by DJ Rashad. I um, mean, it's the Ray Bands one, which features very briefly like RP Boo, DJ Manny. Um, and obviously, if anyone who's listening who doesn't know, uh, the, the, the genre that was being played was footwork. Um, and that was a genre from Chicago, which originated from like house and techno music. Um, and it's a very new genre. So it's like more the early thousands onwards that they've been oh. making them. But the people, the the kind of forefathers of it, of uh, the RP Boo, the Richard, the Spin, um, Tracksman even, you know, they were dancing to house music and like speeding it up gradually over time. And then it obviously got to where it's got to now. And the music kind of just blew me away because it was a case of like it was stuff that I had never heard before, but there was edits that were being used that I was hugely interested in. House music with regards to like cashmere edits, um, you know, listening to Brighter Days and there's Rashad playing it and mixing it in super well. And I'm just like completely blown away, like completely forgot I was in an office. (laughs) I mean, my desk is like really in the corner and it was in a place especially where it was like this clear window where people could see me if they walked into the kitchen and see what I was doing. Then next to me was like loads of other people and I was like right opposite the guy who was the head of, I'm still is actually, I think, of Shazam. So I couldn't just be like, do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) swinging my arms around all this kind of stuff. I had to very much pretend that I was typing in, working and doing uh, the editorial stuff. And it, it just kind of blew my mind. I think it was like this weird epiphany moment that happened that I didn't think would obviously get to this point where, you know, I'm able to actually play that music globally, plus also championing jungle and then championing, you know, stuff which is above 160 ppm. But that changed my life. Downloaded all the music I could, actually bought it this time around. Started looking at all the artists like in a really obsessive way, in a similar fashion to how I would have put music on my, like, iPod Classic mm-hmm. and stuff. And, you know, I was at a community radio station called Represent, 
I didn't realise my love, I was having quite bad luck at this time. I was about to be kicked off because I, I think my station manager felt that I wasn't putting an effort into my show, which was true. But it wasn't because I didn't like my show. It was actually because I didn't like what I was playing. Uh, or at least I didn't right. think it was representing me at the time for what I was actually doing. Mm-hmm. So as much as I love the music that I was playing, um, you know, I was playing quite, uh, so, well, it's not really soft, actually. It's kind of softer in comparison to what I was playing. I was playing a lot of, a lot of like Jack Screen, Julio Bashmore. Oh, um, I was playing like, yeah, like really, just really nice stuff yeah. and it's the you know amazing stuff that I still listen to but it wasn't me mm-hmm. for what I should yeah. be DJing out and luckily because of having that epiphany downloading everything I changed my show drastically so my show went from that to then playing footwork and he was like what the like what's going on and they sat me down in a meeting um, with Naina who I obviously mm-hmm. run Hoover Sound with and she uh, still works for represent obviously in a in a nice in a, in a way which is like kind of overseeing stuff and making sure that things are ticking over. But she was working there, has like a, a it's almost like a secondary station manager. You know this because yeah. obviously you came through like represent as well. And sat there with them. And I was, I just, I don't know what happened in that meeting, but I was just not, I wouldn't stop talking. I was like, guys, like seriously, I was like, I've found this genre that I just, I actually love. I'm going to represent it. Like no one's doing it in the UK. Um, it's called footwork. Footwork originated from, and then just went on like a tangent <laughs> of like, and then he was just like, oh, Sherelle, like, yeah. uh, okay, like I get it, but it's not. Remember the, the remit of the station is supposed to be like UK music. I went, I know, but I'm from the UK and I'm playing this music. So therefore actually we can, and I started going again with like what footwork is and like where it came from. And then Naina could see how passionate I was. And then was just like to Adrian, look, like, I can see that Sherelle's actually really gassed by this. Like, just give her a month mm-hmm. I, and then we'll see. And obviously, if you want to kick her off, then kick her off. I was like, he was like, okay, fine. I'll, get, I'll give you a month. Gave me a month. And then, you know, that ex got extended. No, nothing was said. So it was like, I'm not being kicked off anytime soon. Okay, cool. And it got to like roughly about six months. And then he was like, your show is like, really sick like what you're championing who you're bringing in the guest mixes all this kind of stuff it's really sounding good like we're going to give you a different slot the wow. slot I had originally mm. uh, my Sunday slot was taken away from me rightly so because it wasn't really the time to be <laughs> playing it um, <laughs> so that was like completely taken away um, got given a later slot on like a Thursday which was like 1 to 3am and then in represent terms again Jag you would know you work your way up the, the slot mm. So I was working my way up into a really good time, which is basically 9 to 11 on a Tuesday. And then, you know, got this show roughly about two years strong now. We're about in 2017, 18. Um, another epiphany moment was when at Represent Radio, they brought in the XX to do a bunch of shows for a week. It was basically curating. Um, so Young um, came in alongside XL, um, bringing in just big fuck off guest like Sampha was randomly doing a DJ set and and you're watching him do a DJ set you're seeing the whole of the XX just like do a show and all this kind of stuff and whatever Giles Peterson was like down and stuff Um, Jerry who now is on One Extra first met Toddler T on that slot and then their relationship grew and, 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 and blossomed and it was like this it was really just creative and it was just so like inspiring we were like just DJing with like really big names, people and, you know, these people wouldn't, you know, obviously know us. We're just, you know, community radio people. And it's such a, it was such a nice thing to do. I had any excuse, any excuse to go down there. I, would be, I was like, 
I'll bring a camera. <laughs> so I like, from the other job I essentially got made redundant from, still had the camera left from a shoot <laughs> that we did. Yeah. I'm admitting this now and everybody's going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I knew she did this. I so I got. still had the camera <laughs> and I was like, Adrian, I've got this camera. It's really good like quality. I'll film everything. So I felt there's, there's footage basically for, from the whole week that, you know, say for instance, represent we're going to do a documentary in the future, would be able to do because there's, you know, Jay Huss singing into a camera before Jay Huss was Jay Huss. There's like all these like various different beautiful moments that we we, we had there. Um, and I think they could see like how hard I was working. They were like, okay, Sherelle, we're going to try and get you in. Who would you want to come down? I was like, well, obviously, you know, DJ Spin or like Jesse Lanza, you know, because yeah. obviously these are, you know, Spin, one of the Godfathers, mm. Jesse Lanza, naturally from my own listening pleasure from before to now it's obviously still makes sense and fortunately Jesse Lanza actually did come in you know got Uh to interview her uh you know still up actually weirdly enough on my SoundCloud like got to interview her she did a mix and I was just in awe like I was like how is this even possible that this community radio station in Brixton which gets no funding is having all of a sudden all of the biggest names there to go and see them and uh, you know even other moments of us being able to play for the prodigy as like warm-ups. Yeah, I did that with Nena, ne- yeah, me and Nana, where who the sound comes from, where me and Nana obviously, you know, met the day before, did a little set or whatever. Wasn't expecting anyone to be there. You know, we were playing a lot of um, breakbeat, hardcore bits and stuff like that. A lot of like production house bits or whatever. And there we were playing a set and out of nowhere in 15 minutes, there was, it was full. Like, the whole place was just rammed, like sold out, sold out gig. Wow. They all ran in and we were like, oh my God. So like every mix was like, a, oh my God. Just like with the jog wheel and everything. I remember being when like, you did that. Yeah, Jeez. it was like an, a, another moment in which in, in this, these moments inspire you. You know, I've yeah. had a lot of obviously, you know, shitty moments with regards to stuff not going my way. But there would always be these moments to remind me exactly that, oh, actually this is like what I want to do. And I think represent really allowed me to shape myself obviously as a, as a DJ as a, as a radio presenter um you know obviously now being fortunate enough to be on radio one residency yeah. and going to the boiler room situation another thing which I didn't think much of in the sense of oh sick like you know I play four gigs a year like now maybe they'll go to eight kind of thing yeah, do you know what I mean like yeah. did not realize happen. you know when you're especially not because I was I was swigging like literally a, a whole bottle of like rum or like <laughs> or like whiskey or whatever it's just like on camera going but like, whatever and like just having a great time one of the most viewed boiler rooms uh yeah well, like yeah millions of I don't even know what the clip itself <laughs> that went viral got like it's it's on a, it's on a million um, oh, which was amazing. really like a bit of a head fuck because I woke up the next day after the I remember the seeing room. you because oh we God. lived together in yeah. 2018. Yeah. It was mad. Yeah, you wow. saw how you like, like dishevelled I was when yeah. I woke up but I was also really taken back. I was concerned. Back. Yeah, I was, I, was. Really, I was really still quite drunk. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I just was so taken aback because like, you know, I was waking up with uh, my partner, LCY, and we, look, we looked at the, the video and my phone was buzzing off. I had this really shitty samsung um still have an android phone please don't judge me so, <laughs> I love you, you know i will refuse um so uh, um you know really shitty android just uh sorry samsung phone just popping off and it's just like it wasn't working it's the cheapest phone i could get at the time do you know what i mean and seeing all of these like social media going up all this kind of stuff and whatever i was just like what the f- ah, this is this is insane and then just from there i just had to kind of deal with it 
I was still working for a very long time at Mixmag, right. um, I was, which still was my dream job because of the fact that I had the scope. I was lucky that the person who ran the company, the, my manager, uh, Digby, um, another manager of mine called Seb, who's now at Defected, gave me the remit to want to talk about more about like black stories within music and stuff because I felt like you could do it in a short form way mm-hmm. and then it would fly on social media or whatever. And I never really got around to doing that because by the time they gave me my full-time contract, I had to then turn around and be like, I've used up more my holiday. Mm-hmm. I think the eventuality of this is that I'm going to have to go. And I did. And I was super scared, but I still am quite taken back about how... um well, well, it's gone. Yeah, mainly because obviously, in you know, in our age, I've, me and Jaguar are very aware of it. You know, the the, the social media age is is a is a very um, tricky thing mm. to navigate. Mm. And I think sometimes the stories can get lost of obviously how much you care about the music and stuff like that and whatever. Which is, I think, from you know, for me, I don't I don't necessarily care. I don't care about the social media aspect. I just want to play music. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So it's nice that you know people gradually over time have garnered like quite a bit of support from like obviously like various different people and stuff and I just think when I think back to myself obviously all the times of like redundancies and you know good times and stuff I'm just really happy to obviously just be in this uh, position now where just doing exactly what I actually wanted to do from quite a young age because I I wanted to be a footballer to be honest with you as well you wanted to be footballer did you so yeah but it didn't didn't really work out that way so um (laughs) You know, going going on uh, to the injury. next going on to the next thing of uh, <laughs> you know music. Of, a lot of people say that like yeah. there's a lot of DJs who wanted, were aspiring like sports stars yeah. and then got injured and then went to music. I wish it was an injury. I just got bored. Oh, you got bored. Yeah. Okay. Fair. It, was, it wasn't really moving anywhere. <laughs> at least the women's uh, football at the time. So it was just like, well, what's the next step after that? Yeah. Really? So it's like, okay, cool. I really love music. This has been a constant. Let me. Let me kind of work on that, but I'm glad I didn't really lose my way too much when I was at at uni. Do you um, still play? I do now. Yeah, yeah. I do like a, a, a Sunday. Yeah, a little on a Sunday, little something. yeah. Trying to get that fitness up after lockdown. Oh my god! Yeah. Tell me about it. Absolutely outrageous. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's that's pretty much like in a long winded way, like basically how I got around to to things. It's amazing. Really. Yeah, yeah. I just story. wanted to ask just quickly, like when you were going through that with with the overnight like success and literally viral moments of boiler yeah. room because i know it was really like difficult oh you saw time. you pretty much yeah so how but how did you cope with that mentally with all this pressure and so many new fans people trying to contact you constantly mm-hmm. i'd never really was good with my phone ever so like texting people calling people this kind of stuff never really was like good with it um try to you know kind of keep myself to myself or if i saw you out i'd be like oh, hello like yeah. have a conversation all that kind of stuff and whatever um, I think it was a very scary thing because it was very it was very public. So basically, anyone could say anything about you. Really, um, you know, either a lot of horrible comments that were coming from the actual boiler room moment itself, um, or there were like really good stuff. It was like no in between really? of anything. It was like I love you, <laughs> or I absolutely despise this music, and don't do you know what I mean? It's one of yeah. those things, and I think that's always been in the back of my mind. So. It, it affected things that I did. So I always spoke to, like, my, which I'm fortunate to have, like a management team mm-hmm. about ways of obviously making sure and counteracting kind of these bad kind of like critiques and bad things, um, which I didn't care about, but I cared about the fact that people were making assumptions in which I didn't think were fair. So I always, you know, just tried to do stuff that could be 
things which could I could be considered seriously in. Um, and I was fortunate enough that a few, you know, mixes came up, like the residency came up. You can't really argue with that whatsoever. Um, you know, Mantle mix came up, mm. but that came obviously at like, it went, it got sent out obviously at a, a different time. It was a lot, you know, if, has someone who rarely cries. That's the most I've cried in like, you know, one one bit because it was like, you know, everywhere I turned, it was people coming up to you going, oh, can I have a picture? Yeah. A picture? Mm. Why on earth do you, not saying why on earth do you want a picture? It was just so take like just really like this, not understanding how big of a, a, a platform that was. But I think having those moments of being like super sad about it, okay, how am I going to, you know, find the good points in it? So it's okay if we've, you know, got now a following of people okay so how do we use you know get these followings of people to do like amazing things mm. so that inspired having labels or that inspired having or doing certain initiatives or like speaking out about things in order for people to like understand which I'm sure we would get onto but you know me talking about myself obviously as a as a black you know gay woman um, being very open with that using derogatory terms that would usually be derogatory or you know like bow count like my t-shirt you've seen that t-shirt <laughs> still got right, that yeah. t-shirt you've still got the Good. t-shirt two t-shirts wow Should they were always sure. on the washing I don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah it's like things like that just like kind of owning your, your, your yourself and, and, and stuff and just I don't know trying to trying to do stuff new but doing it alongside now people I think oh you know let's consider them new friends yeah you know rather yeah. than getting scared about the notion of the mm-hmm. fact that there's random people people want to take pictures okay let's have a nice time you know or talk to them and interact with them obviously in gigs yeah. and stuff where like you know not that it makes people happy about the rider situation where I just give one of my bottles away to people for yeah. the best answer kind of like sitch so yeah try and have fun <laughs> with it really yeah definitely yeah. nice yeah thank you um thank okay. you do you mind yes. if i just say considering yeah. we're all sharing our stories wouldn't it be yeah. great to hear jaguar it would be well? nice yeah. to hear jaguar's okay. yeah. got six if you want to hear my story come on i can share um so i where do i begin so i grew up in the channel islands um i'm from this tiny island called Alderney, and there's two thousand people um i think actually less now i think people keep leaving but um, it's a very remote place. My parents moved there when I was a baby from Kent. Um, and I grew up there and it was really lovely. You got lots of nice beaches and it's very safe. Great place to start a family. But it's obviously a very limiting place as well because, like, there's not really much you can do. Um, and in terms of, you know, I was always a big music fan because my older brother, I basically just listened to everything he had. I'd, I'd make him... I'd, like you, I'd get my iPod and be like, put everything on this iPod and demand he downloads everything. So from like Chemical Brothers to Daft Punk to I was listening to just a lot of pop and like Destiny's Child uh, and like Gwen Stefani and I had like an emo phase, Evanescence, Veronica's, etc. But I was just listening to everything. Um, I think maybe because there wasn't much to do. So like music was a big part of like how I would express myself and all that. Um, and I actually got to age 10 and the schools like aren't amazing where I grew up so um I actually went to boarding school when I was 10 in Dorset which was like the wildest thing being away from my parents so so young but I actually like really thrived off it I'm I'm quite a shy person naturally but it really pushed me to become confident and like independent in a way that I don't think I would be now without that experience 
like I'd, if I was when I was younger I'd if there was like a new person to speak to or like my, someone would come around my mum be like talk to this kid your age I'd be so scared like I wouldn't even be able to look them in the eye and I'd just be so shy like painfully shy so that experience was like kind of wild and I do think I'd be a completely different person without that um and yeah just fast forwarding to my teens like always always the person like showing people like new tracks I've heard and always like always going out and stuff because in the Channel Islands we have um it's, it's it was occupied by the Germans in World War Two, so there's lots of big concrete kind of ugly looking bunkers dotted around the island so we have we used to have raves in there I mean they've been going since like since the beginning of time I think since like 70s 80s that wasn't the beginning of time but since back then <laughs> these raves in these bunkers um I remember sneaking out when I was 14 to this bunker of my friend and uh, I was like, my dad's never going to know. And we got there like drinking whiskey out of this water bottle and just you know, doing what teenagers do, right? And um, just had the best time. And then obviously, because Aldeni's so small, someone saw me and then told my dad. And my next day my dad was like, were you out last night? I was like, no, it wasn't me. And like, obviously I got caught because it's such a small place. I don't know what I was thinking there, but... That those bunker parties became like a really big part of how I would experience, yeah, hearing music loud for the first time, and and I just fell in love with like the idea of going out dancing, like making friends, and I think that was the reason why when I sort of was in my later teens, like eighteen, nineteen, when I went to uni in Leeds, um, I really just immersed myself in the electronic scene there. And just just loved it because I think I had this foundation of going to these bunker parties when I was younger. Um, and I never thought I'd end up working in music at all. I didn't really realise that you could work in radio or you could be a music journalist because I feel like at school they don't really tell no. you what's no. out there no. um, at all. I, like, I did an English degree because I liked writing and I liked books, but I didn't want to like, you know, be a current affairs journalist or anything like that so I was kind of just plodding along and just hoping something came along and um, I ended up doing student radio at uni in Leeds just because someone said it was quite a fun thing to do and it kind of appealed to me like picking music and talking about it so I did that for my first year at uni and that that was the moment where I just something clicked and I was like oh my god this is the best thing I've ever done in my whole life like I just fell in love with writing the scripts and doing all the research and you know writing out my links and producing audio for the first time and all these amazing things I just had never felt this way about anything in my life and um I used to have my show was called Dangerous Jag that was my DJ DJ name (laughs) at the time um so Dangerous Jag was every Friday and yeah I, I just loved it and I actually ended up um applying for an internship with BBC Radio 1 and 1 Extra when I was 19 and I, I never thought I would get it because I'd literally been doing radio for about six months and everyone was applying for these internships at the time and I didn't think about the logistics moving to London for two months to didn't know where I was going to stay or how I was going to afford it but I ended up getting this internship um, and luckily it was paid so I like stayed in like some weird I stayed with my grandma for a bit and then I stayed at this student accommodation and ended up doing two months um, production work experience um, working on like I worked a bit on Annie Max show, worked with the One Extra music team. This is when like Fern Cotton was still at Radio One. I remember like seeing Fern Cotton in the live lounge, just being like, "Oh my god!" Like I'd never experienced yeah. seeing 
anyone who was famous or you know no you know of note before never so I was every picture of me I looked so glazed and just overwhelmed (laughs) little 19 year old you know it was was crazy and I'm so grateful for that opportunity Um, and I just went with it after that I was like right how do I get back there and I went back to uni started putting everything into my shows and I can't my degree kind of suffered a bit but I was it was I just spent every moment of my life like in that student radio station started to learn to DJ um good friend Mo taught me to yeah, DJ yeah, yeah. and um yeah started to just go for it and kind of was just experimenting on what music I want to play as a DJ because I was playing a lot of like bass line and grime and like bassy stuff at first which is just really fun to mix to be honest and I guess being up north there was kind of a lot of that floating about and then um yeah I was just experimenting played my first few gigs and then I got a job with BBC introducing which was just a Saturday job once a week working on the Sheffield show so I'd get the train over while I was still at uni doing that wow you got that when you were at uni yeah when I was 20 amazing and then I was obsessed with like just making sure I had a job after uni so in my second year I did an internship with Mixmag and that was amazing to get a journalistic kind of view of mm. how, um, you know, how electronic music specifically could work. And I learned so much with those guys. Then they eventually asked me to be their weekend editor. So I do all the news on the weekend, still at uni. So I was getting quite busy at uni, to yeah. be honest. But long story short, I, I graduated, spent like five weeks in Ibiza with my friend Christy, which was great. And then stayed in Leeds for a little bit, just doing like four or five different jobs, just living it going out just having the best time and then I got a job with my BBC introducing job they asked me to move to London um to help them with the central team which are based at the BBC where Radio 1 and one extra are. so I then moved to London in 2017 um and this job initially was meant to be for two months but I, I literally have been well I literally stopped doing it just now because I've kind of the DJing stuff has taken over but I've been doing that job for three and a half years and oh. just helping with working with new artists, working, connecting, you know, how BBC Introducing works with other radio stations like Radio 1, 2, 6, 1 Extra, etc. Got to go to a lot of festivals, interview a lot of artists. And amongst all this, I kind of was figuring out what I wanted to actually do within radio. And I was like, right, I want to be a radio presenter at Radio 1. And I was just trying to make it happen. You know, I did a few pilots when I was 21 in Radio 1 and really hopeful but they didn't lead to anything and I was quite gutted about that and kind of just had to really I don't know I think what what we what you what you experience in this like industry is a lot of people will try and put you down yeah. is what I've learned and you know I talked to radio producers and people and as an ambitious 21 year old clearly I wasn't ready but they'd be like no I don't think you're ever going to do it so just like they just dismiss you and try and knock you down and I did grapple with that quite a lot but I really kind of the more that happened the more it spurred me on to really pursue becoming this radio presenter mm-hmm. and anyway the long and short of it is after a few years at represent radio cutting my teeth broadcasting there I eventually did get my job on radio one doing a show called wow, BBC Introducing wow. Dance as of April 2020 so just over a year now and it's been amazing incredible That's part one, and as you can tell, we had so much to talk about. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you catch part two as well, where we look ahead to a bright future for us all. 
Big thank you to my gal Katie Baxter for producing this episode and I would love to know what you thought about this. You can catch me at Jaguar Worldwide on the socials. Let me know and I'll see you next time. Utopia Talks is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.